Hi, this is Steve with Thresher Media Group. Welcome to When You're Ready to Listen. This podcast is dedicated to exploring the truth about God, things you may not have understood, may not have been taught, or quite frankly, had a very hard time believing. And since our entire relationship with God rests on believing, it is important we learn how to separate the truth from the many lies and fictions that abound within the religion of Christianity. So when you're ready to listen, tune in and discover a pathway to freedom, encouragement, life, and hope. A couple of quick reminders. Thresher Media Group is a 501c3 public charity, and we rely entirely on donations from our listeners. If the Spirit leads you, I encourage you to support this ministry. It's easy to do. Just go to the website, threshermediagroup.com, and click the Donate tab in the header. I would also encourage you to go to Amazon and pick up a copy of Liberating the Book of Revelation, Returning to the Source of the Message. This book is intended to help us know what the Spirit said and how He said it. This book is focused not so much on interpreting the Book of Revelation, that is what this podcast is for, but on accurately representing the Book of Revelation in the manner in which the Spirit originally spoke it to John. It's available in all formats hardback, paperback, ebook format, and as an audible. With that said, let's move on to episode 126, Revelation 14, verses 17 through 20. In our last podcast, we addressed the timing of the rapture and connected it to the first harvest. Let's now move into the time of wrath, the day of the Lord, and the second reaping, or the second harvest. The second reaping, Revelation chapter 14 verses 17 through 20. And another angel came out of the sanctuary, which is in heaven. And he also is now having a sharp sickle. Then another angel, the one who is now having power over fire, came out from the altar. And he called with a loud voice to him who is now having the sharp sickle, now saying, you are commanded to thrust your sharp sickle and you are commanded to gather the clusters from the vine of the earth because her grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle to the earth and gathered the clusters from the vine of the earth and threw them into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was caused to be trodden outside the city, and blood came out from the winepress up to the horse's bridle for a distance of 1,600 furlongs, or literally stadia, which is approximately 200 miles. This second reaping gives us a very explicit picture of what the last part of the tribulation will be like, post-redemption of God's people. It is a harvest for sure, but one that is unto judgment and death. Now, I must warn you, this part of the text is not for the faint of heart. If this were a movie, it would be rated R for mature audiences only, containing death, blood, and utter destruction. The angel with the sickle. And another angel came out of the naus, or the sanctuary, the holy place in heaven, and he's now having a sharp sickle. The sickle is a standard issue for this angel, and he has been equipped for this very day and hour. The angel with the power over fire. And another angel came out from the altar. This is the sixth angel presented in this chapter. And this is the angel who is now having authority over fire. The previous two angels came straight from the sanctuary, but this angel 
specifically comes from the altar. We must remember that the tabernacle and subsequently the temple on earth were built according to the pattern of the true temple of God that exists in heaven. In the temple, there are two altars, the brazen altar, which was outside of the sanctuary, which was used for sacrifice, for the remission of sins, for both the nation and the individual. And there was the altar of incense, which was inside the sanctuary and used by the priest to offer up a very specific blend of incense before Yahweh. The smoke from the burning incense represented the prayers of the people of God. Both altars utilized fire, as even the incense needed to be lit with coals. But the brazen altar required a large fire to roast the sacrifice, so much so that certain sacrifices were roasted until they were entirely consumed by the fire, burned to ashes. The detail that this angel is now having power over the fire is a coded message. And given that the subject matter is judgment and not prayer, this power over fire speaks of the fire which burns under the brazen altar. It is now time for sin to be judged. The brazen altar was the very first feature one encountered when entering the temple complex. This was a message to the people indicating that the issue of sin must always be dealt with first. It must be judged before anyone can gain access to God. Here are some additional facts about the brazen altar. The altar was built up upon a mound of dirt, raising it higher or elevating it above all else. It was made of acacia wood with a bronze casing covering the acacia wood, and the fire which consumed the sacrifice was contained within it. The elevated portion of the altar was symbolic of the cross code for the way in which Jesus would himself be lifted above the earth as the living sacrifice for all of humanity. He would literally be our victim on the altar of the cross. The acacia wood is code addressing Christ's incorruptible nature. There is a prophecy in the codex which says that Yahweh will not allow his holy one, who is Jesus, to undergo decay, and he didn't. Jesus died, but he rose again with an incorruptible body. You see, unlike many other woods, Acacia wood seems not to decay, as it is extremely resistant to both rot and decay. The bronze casing around the wood is code for judgment, and the fire within the altar is code for purification through destruction. The image of the blood sacrifice is that the fire will both destroy and purify its victims. Angels, angels, angels. We have discussed on many occasions that everything originates from the unseen realm. And what we have in our physical realm has been passed to us by Yahweh's servants, the angels. Yes, people get all squeamish around those who talk too much about angels and demons and so on. But it is the reality. And just because we cannot see it does not make it not so. In fact, that is the beauty of the book of Revelation. For it gives us a top-down view of events on the earth a view that is based on how Yahweh sees things through the heavenlies. Having the power over fire, this angel must have communicated, at some point, the secrets of fire to mankind. Interestingly, in that very odd book of Enoch, referenced by Luke, Jude, and the writer of Hebrews, and Peter, we are told that it was the angelic beings who taught humans how to make and work with metals, how to create swords, knives, shields, breastplates, and ornamental objects. They also taught humans about medicine, the cutting of roots, and plants. 
So it seems that angels are specifically empowered with certain skills, like having the power of fire. And as agents of Yahweh, they communicate that skill and ability to mankind. The measurement is complete. The angel with the power over fire being connected to the brazen altar is consistent with what we learned in the measurement of the sanctuary in Revelation chapter 11, verse 1, where John was told to measure off for God those who are now worshiping in the sanctuary and separate them from those who are found in the temple at large, in the Hieron in Greek, where the altar of fire and sacrifice is located. In other words, with the blowing of the seventh trumpet, the separation is complete, seven being code for the number representing completion. Those who are found to now be worshiping in the sanctuary, the called and chosen and faithful, are hidden away as God brings the brazen altar of heaven to the altar of the earth. The point of the imagery is that the sacrifice to be laid upon the altar of the earth will be a sacrifice of mankind for sure. But first and foremost, it will be a sacrifice of the called of God. Those who have, should have been in the sanctuary worshiping but chose to remain in the temple at large, is, as he said, this is the time to ruin those who ruin the earth where there are idolatries and false worship. The Codex addresses this condemnation of the called, and it spares no pleasantries. 2 Peter 2, verses 12 through 22. But these, like unreasoning animals, having been caused to being born as creatures of instinct to be captured and ruined, now reviling where they now have no knowledge, will in their own ruin, will in the future, be caused to be ruined, now being caused to be suffering, and now choosing to be suffering wrong as the wages of wrongdoing. They now choose to be counting it a pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are stains and blemishes, now reveling in their deceptions, as they now are caused to be carousing with you, now having eyes full of adultery, that never cease from sin, now enticing unstable souls, having a heart having been caused to be trained in greed, now accursing children, now forsaking the right way. They have been caused to have gone astray, have been following the way of Balaam, son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but he received a rebuke for his own transgression, for a mute donkey, having chosen to speaking with a voice of a man, Restrain the madness of the prophet. These now are springs without water and mist caused to now be driving by a storm for whom the black darkness has been caused to be reserved. For now choosing to be speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they now entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality, those who barely are now escaping from the ones who are now caused to be living in error, choosing to now be promising them freedom while they themselves are now being slaves of corruption. For by what a man has been caused to be overcome, by this he has been caused to be enslaved. For if, after they have been escaping the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are caused to have been entangling in them and are now caused to be overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would be better for them to not have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn away from the holy commandment, having been caused to be handing on to them. It has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog having been returning to its own vomit, and a sow, after choosing to have been washing, returns to wallowing in the mire. 
or Hebrews chapter 6, 4 through 8. For in the case of those who have once caused a being enlightened and chose to have been tasting of the heavenly gift and have caused a being made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted by choice the good word of God and the powers of the age that now is coming, and then haven't been falling away, it is impossible to now renew them again to repentance, since they again are now crucifying to themselves the Son of God and now putting him to open shame. For ground that has been drinking the rain, which often now chooses to fall on it, and is now bringing forth vegetation useful to those who sake it, is also now caused to be tilled, now receives a blessing from God. But if it is now yielding thorns and thistles, it is rejected and close to being cursed, and it ends up being burned. Mankind will be purified in this judgment through fire. In fact, those few who remain, the elect, when this judgment has been completed, will be permitted to come into the presence of Jesus when he establishes his kingdom on the earth. And they will have been purified. But those who should have known, who should have believed the truth, the called, will suffer beyond our imagination, for they have been rejected. And their end is the fire. The call. You are commanded to thrust your sharp sickle, and you are commanded to gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, because her grapes are ripe. In contrast to the word translated ripe in the first harvest, which meant dried out and shriveled, the word translated as ripe in this passage literally means mature, as in the clusters of grapes are ready for harvest. The sharp sickle is swung with violence and intensity. And the nations of the earth, or the clusters of grapes, are gathered from the vine and are placed into the great winepress of the wrath of God. This image of a winepress indicates that they will be pressed, stomped on, and juice or blood will flow. The fairness of God. Honestly, what more could God do? Throughout the centuries, he has sent an angel to preach the eternal gospel. And all he was looking for was a simple acknowledgement of the marvel of creation, a thanks for all he has done and provided. And just that alone would have provided room for the spirit to bring the fear of the Lord into a person's life. At a minimum, this could have opened the opportunity for someone to become part of the elect, but it could also have led to a person embracing the fear of the Lord and giving their heart, mind, soul and strength to Jesus. God sent his two witnesses from both among the Gentiles and the Jews to testify to his power and to the death and resurrection of Jesus, as they are those who are now following the Lamb wherever he goes, those who are now overcoming. The world has a witness and cannot deny that they have heard. Moreover, he secured the attention of everyone in the entire world with the opening of the seventh seal, then with the blowing of the seven trumpets. And even after the demonic locusts afflict mankind with torment for five months, and another demonic army was responsible for slaughtering a third of mankind, still they refused to turn to God. Their hearts remain hard as they have always been. Going back to Revelation 9, verse 20 through 21. And speaking of the religious people, the called, it says, the rest of mankind who were not caused to be killed by these plagues 
did not repent of the works of their hands, so as not to, in the future, worship demons and the idols of gold and of silver and of brass and of stone and of wood, which can neither now see nor can now being caused to now hear nor now walk. And they did not repent of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their immorality, nor of their thefts. God has proven that he is Lord, Adonai, over all of creation, over both the seen and the unseen world. He is over all the elements, and he is even over all the players in this end times narrative, the dragon, the beast, the second beast, the nations, and so on. Still, they reject God and choose the beast. They willingly choose to worship demons and idols. This choice is willful, defiant, and with full knowledge and understanding. They are not confused in the least. They know full well that the plagues, pestilence, violence, and perils that they experience are from God. Even more specifically, they know it is the wrath of the Lamb of God. They know that no one can stand under his mighty arm, yet they perish in their rebellion. As such, their punishment is really their own doing, and it cannot be blamed on God. They will be suffering the wages of their willfully choosing to do wrong. He warned them over and over again. Despite their incessant rebellion, he is even willing to protect those who at the last minute choose to fear God and give him glory. He waits until the very last moment to gather all those who would choose him, even letting certain grapes become dry and withered. He is patient as he does not wish that any would perish, but for all to come to repentance. Honestly, their rebellion to God makes absolutely no sense. And their hardness of heart is one of those things which is hard to fit into our minds. Tap out, give up, yield, call it quits, wave the white flag, but do not just keep getting pummeled by the Lord's judgments. The wine press, Revelation 14, 19. So the angel swung his sickle to the earth and gathered the clusters from the vine of the earth and threw them into the great wine press of the wrath of God. This image of a wine press depicts a closed container of sort into which all the grapes would be tossed. The area of the container would be big enough for the workers of the vineyard to get in and start smashing the grapes. This is called treading. They would either walk on them or use some instrument to break and press on the clusters of grapes such that the grape juice could be separated and drained, leaving behind the stems, the skin, the seeds, or the dregs. This imagery of the nations of the world being crushed in the winepress of God is a brutal image. Since their creation, God has been taking care of the nations. And although he gave them to be ruled by the Elohim, the little gods, at the Tower of Babel, still he has been their shepherd. In their codex, we are told that he had a covenant of favor towards the nations, providing and leading them each to their own place and time. But on the day that they valued him, their beautiful shepherd, as worth nothing more than 30 pieces of silver, he broke the covenant of favor and assigned the nations their final destiny in the care of a worthless shepherd, the beast, who would not care for them and would only devour and tear at them. This worthless shepherd is also referred to as a king, one who will strike or damage the land. 
However, unlike times in the past, God will not deliver them from the power of this worthless shepherd. But men will fall into each other's power and into the power of this terrible king, all in preparation for Jesus to return and tread all over that wine press. The Codex addresses this terrible wine press thousands of years in advance. The nations have been warned of the consequences of abiding in wickedness. Joel chapter 3, 13 through 16. Swing the sickle for the harvest is ripe. Come tread the grapes for the wine press is full. The storage vats are overflowing with the wickedness of these people. Thousands upon thousands are waiting in the valley of decision. There, the day of Yahweh will soon arrive. The sun and moon will grow dark and the stars will no longer shine. Yahweh's voice will roar from Zion and thunder from Jerusalem and the heavens and the earth will shake. But Yahweh will be a refuge for his people, a strong fortress for the people of Israel. This passage speaks of unrelenting judgment, the treading of the grapes, as well as the way in which God will protect the elect of the nations, as he will be a refuge for his people. God will also protect the elect of Israel during this time that they flee to a place in the wilderness prepared by God where they will be cared for and protected from the dragon for a time, times, and half a time. Isaiah 63, 1 through 6. Who is this who comes from Edom, from the city of Basra, with its clothing stained red? Who is this in royal robes marching in its great strength? It is I, Yahweh, announcing your salvation. It is I, Yahweh, who has the power to save. Why are your clothes so red as if you've been treading out grapes? I have been treading the winepress alone. No one was there to help me. In my anger, I have trampled my enemies as if they were grapes. In my fury, I have trampled my foes. Their blood has stained my clothes. For the time has come for me to avenge my people, to ransom them from their oppressors. I was amazed to see that no one intervened to help the oppressed. So I myself stepped in to save them with my strong arm, and my wrath sustained me. I crushed the nations in my anger and made them stagger and fall to the ground, spilling their blood upon the earth. With his people safe, the time has come to ruin those who ruin the earth. It starts with the pouring out of the seven bowls of wrath, and it is consummated in a second coming where he alone will wage war. The armies of heaven will follow with him. Remember, he promises that where he is, there we will always be. But this is his war, and he alone will be fighting. And if anyone thinks that they will escape this judgment, they are wrong. This crushing will reach from one end of the earth to the other. Jeremiah 25, verse 27 through 38. Then Yahweh said to me, Now tell them, this is what Yahweh of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says. Drink from this cup of my anger, get drunk and vomit. Fall to rise no more, for I am sending terrible wars against you. And if they refuse to accept the cup, tell them, Yahweh of heaven's armies says, you have no choice but to drink from it. I have begun to punish Jerusalem, the city that bears my name. Now should I let you go unpunished? No, you will not escape disaster. I will call for war against all the nations of the earth. I, Yahweh of heaven's armies, have spoken. Now prophesy all these things and say to them, 
Yahweh will roar against his own land and from his holy dwelling in heaven, he will shout like those who tread grapes. He will shout against everyone on earth. His cry of judgment will reach the ends of the earth for Yahweh will bring his case against all the nations. He will judge all the peoples of the earth, slaughtering the wicked with the sword. I, Yahweh, have spoken. This is what Yahweh of heaven's army says. Look, disaster will fall upon nation after nation. A great whirlwind of fury is rising from the most distant corners of the earth. That day, those Yahweh has slaughtered will fill the earth from one end to the other. No one will mourn for them or gather up their bodies to bury them. They will be scattered on the ground like manure. Weep and mourn, you evil shepherds. Roll in the dust, you leaders of the flock. The time of your slaughter has arrived. You will fall and shatter like a fragile vase. You will find no place to hide. There'll be no way to escape. Listen to the frantic cries of the shepherds. The leaders of the flock are wailing in despair. For Yahweh is ruining their pastures. Peaceful meadows will be turned into a wasteland by Yahweh's fierce anger. He has left his den like a strong lion seeking his prey. And their land will be made desolate by the sword of the enemy and Yahweh's fierce anger. Frankly, this is quite unimaginable. Just like the flood which destroyed nation after nation until the world was literally drowned in judgment, which <laughs> so few can even comprehend, much less believe, so too will be this great war as the nations are forced to drink from Yahweh's cup of anger. Disaster will fall upon nation after nation, and the slaughtered will fill the earth from one end to the other. In Israel alone, it will take seven months to bury the dead and to cleanse the land. Just imagine how long it will take those who survive this destruction in the various nations of the earth. It is striking that the final part of this passage is specifically focused on the shepherds, the leaders of the flock, those who should have known better. This is a layered reference. On one layer, it addresses the religious leaders of both Judaism and Christianity. These shepherds should have prepared the flock to either escape or avoid this terrible demise. But instead of caring for the sheep, they were taking advantage of the sheep and getting fat off the sheep. Therefore, Yahweh will destroy their pastures, aka their ministries, and they will wail as they are slaughtered and there will be no escape. This is played out in Revelation 17 and 18. On another layer, this applies to the shepherds in the spiritual realm, the Elohim, the gods, who are put in charge of caring for the nations. In this day, they too will be punished. Isaiah 24, verses 1 through 23. Behold, Yahweh lays the earth waste, devastates it, distorts its surface, and scatters its inhabitants. And the people will be like the priest, the servant like his master, the maid like her mistress, the buyer like the seller, the lender like the borrower, the creditor like the debitor. The earth will be completely laid waste and completely despoiled. For Yahweh has spoken this word. The earth mourns and withers. The world fades and withers. The exalted of the people of the earth fade away. The earth is also polluted by its inhabitants, for they transgressed laws, violated statutes, broke the everlasting covenant. 
Therefore, a curse devours the earth, and those who live in it are held guilty. Therefore, the inhabitants of the earth are burned, and few men are left. The new wine mourns, the vine decays, all the merry-hearted sigh. The gaiety of tambourine ceases, the noise of revelers stops. The gaiety of the harp ceases. They do not drink wine with song. Strong drink is bitter to those who drink it. The city of chaos is broken down. Every house is shut up so that none may enter. There is an outcry in the streets concerning the wine. All joys turn to gloom. The gaiety of the earth is banished. Desolation is left in the city, and the gate is battered to ruins. For thus it will be in the midst of the earth, among the peoples, as the shaking of an olive tree, as the gleanings when the grape harvest is over. They raise their voices. They shout for joy. They cry out from the west concerning the majesty of Yahweh. Therefore glorify Yahweh in the east. The name of Yahweh, the God of Israel, in the coastlands of the sea. From the ends of the earth we hear songs. Glory to the righteous one. But I say, woe to me. Woe to me. Alas for me. The treacherous deal treacherously, and the treacherous deal very treacherously. Terror and pit and snare confront you, O inhabitants of the earth. Then it will be that he who flees the report of disaster will fall into the pit, and he who climbs out of the pit will be caught in the snare. For the windows above are opened, and the foundations of the earth shake. The earth is broken asunder. The earth is split through. The earth is shaken violently. The earth reels to and fro like a drunkard, and it totters like a shack, for its transgression is heavy upon it, and it will fall, never to rise again. So it will happen in that day that Yahweh will punish the hosts of heaven on high and the kings of the earth on earth. They will be gathered together like prisoners in the dungeon and will be confined in prison, and after many days they will be punished. Then the moon will be abashed and the sun ashamed for Yahweh Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts, will reign on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem and his glory will be before his elders. Spiritual rulers and shepherds, the gods, the demonic spirits will all get their comeuppance, both the heavenly hosts and the kings of the earth and the earth, those kings who are part of Lucifer's council of leaders. Outside the city, Revelation 14, 20, and the winepress was caused to be trodden outside the city. The city? What city? The spirit did not say the holy city, a defined term, which is a reference to the bride of Christ, the new Jerusalem. He also did not say the great city, which is another defined term, meaning the realm of religious apostasy, specifically the religion of Christianity. Both cities were identified in Revelation chapter 11, verse 2 and 8. Here he just says, city. So what does he mean, the city? This is the first time this reference has been used. There's a very good chance that this judgment starts at the city of Jerusalem and then extends to the nations of the world. And this is a particularly important clue that will bring other aspects of the story into view. Toward the end of the last three-and-a-half-year period, the beast, the false prophet, and some frog demons will convince the kings of the earth, the Elohim, and the respective nations of the world to come and war against Jerusalem. 
Ironically, they think it is their plan, but God says that he is the one who will gather the nations against Jerusalem. They are just tools. Oh, the irony of it all. And Yahweh will go forth and fight against those nations, for the city belongs to Yahweh. He will punish Jerusalem for sure, but he will not let the nations destroy it. The city will be captured, the houses plundered, the women ravished, raped, and half of the city exiled, but the rest of the people will not be cut off from the city. Two-thirds of the land will be cut off and perish, but one-third will remain in the land, and he will bring them through the fire and refine them as silver is refined and test them as gold is tested. The nations led by the beast will advance into the beautiful land, believing that Jerusalem is their goal. But before they have the chance to destroy the city, Jesus will return to the earth and their political and military aims against Jerusalem will be nothing but a huge setup. They will think they are going to war against the Jew, but they find themselves advancing right into Yahweh's death trap and none will escape as they will be trampled outside of the city. We'll address this more thoroughly when we get to Revelation 16, but please take note that the armies of the world gather around Jerusalem, outside of the city. It is where the battle is fought. It is not fought on some plain 80 miles away from the city, as is purposed by the fiction of the day. More on that in Revelation 16. The Blood, Revelation 14.20. And blood came out of the winepress up to the horse's bridles for a distance of 1,600 stadia, approximately 200 miles. This is a staggering and unimaginable image that was foretold in the Codex. Ezekiel 39, verse 17 through 20. And now, son of man, this is what Adonai Yahweh says. Call all the birds and wild animals. Say to them, gather together for my great sacrificial feast. Come from far and near to the mountain of Israel and there eat flesh and drink blood. Eat the flesh of mighty men and drink the blood of princes as though they were rams, lambs, goats, and bulls, all fattened animals from Bashan. Gorge yourself with flesh until you are glutted. Drink blood until you are drunk. This is the sacrificial feast I have prepared for you. Feast at my banquet table. Feast on horses and charioteers, on mighty men, and all kinds of valiant warriors, says Adonai Yahweh. This is graphic and simply awful. Don't you think people having been warned would just want to get on the right side of this harvest just in case? I honestly do not understand why anyone would even take a chance on this not being true. This is not a game, and it is not an idle threat. It is a guaranteed reckoning. Will blood literally flow for 200 miles and a depth of five feet or more, the height of a horse's bridle? It could be hyperbole, but it is doubtful. The spirit has been very specific. After all, the nations of the world will be gathered in Israel, and the slaughter and bloodletting will be magnitudes of just which the world has never known. As a side note, Enoch 100 verse 3 says, And the horse shall walk up to the breast in the blood of sinners, and the chariot shall be submerged to its height. So maybe Yahweh is not merely giving us a metaphor, but an actual image of what will be. In that regard, the Codex provides another gross and terrifying description of the aftermath of the War of the Nations 
against Jerusalem. Zechariah chapter 14, 12 through 15. Now this will be the plague with which Yahweh will strike all the peoples who've gone to war against Jerusalem. Their flesh will rot where they stand on their feet and their eyes will rot in their sockets and their tongue will rot in their mouth. It will come about that in the day that a great panic from Yahweh will fall on them and they will seize one another's hand and the hand of the one will be lifted up against the hand of another. Judah also will fight at Jerusalem and the wealth of all the surrounding nations will be gathered, gold and silver and garments in great abundance. So also like this plague will be the plague on the horse, the mule, the camel, the donkey, and all the cattle that will be in those camps. 200 miles. Minute details have been included by the Holy Spirit for us to consider and explore. So we'll do that. This measurement of 1,600 stadia is estimated, though not certain, to be close to 200 miles. Imagine 200 miles and five and six feet or more of blood and depth. Perhaps this image is speaking in code. The average Israeli man is between five and six feet high. So perhaps this reference to horse's bridle is speaking of a man. In addition, Israel is about 290 miles long. And two thirds of that is just about 200 miles. Perhaps this image is communicating that two thirds of those in the country of Israel will be slaughtered and their blood will be mixed with the blood of the rest of the nations. And that one third will survive the elect. This just happens to be what we are told in the Codex in Zechariah 13, 8 through 9. Two thirds of the people in the land will be cut off and die, says Yahweh, but one th- third will be left in the land. I will bring that group through the fire and make them pure. I will refine them like silver and purify them like gold. They will call on my name and I will answer them. I will say, These are my people, and they will say, Yahweh is our God. We cannot definitively state that this is the meaning behind the 1600 stadia, the 200 miles, although it should not surprise us if it is. What we do know, however, is that every number, every image, and so on is important and must not be ignored. All of it was put there by design, and none of it is random or casually included. Moreover, we are still seeing things from the view of the heavenly realms into the physical, hence the code. This means that Yahweh wants us to search it out and seek understanding, and not just jump over some detail because it is not easily discerned or easily processed in terms of its literal application. In short, there will be blood. Lots of blood. Let's stop here and we'll pick up on our next podcast with a review of the key festivals of Israel that mark both the rapture and the day of the Lord. I am glad you tuned in and have been ready to listen. To get a free download of the full written transcript with all the scripture references footnoted, please go to threshermediagroup.com. That is T-H-R-E-S-H-E-R mediagroup.com. This is Steve with Thresher Media Group. When you're ready to listen, tune in.